With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Welcome to Policy and Rights, the show about human rights and government policy. And welcome back, everyone. Um, today we're joined by um, Rika Gustafson. She is the Deputy Provincial Health Officer um, in today's press briefing with um, the BC um, Ministry of Health. Um, there's going to be a lot of questions, of course, still around schools, how this is going to work. Are the children going to be required to wear a mask? Um, what if a child gets sick? All these questions are still going to still out there. St- w- parents and teachers are still looking for answers on this. Um, so let's listen in and see what um, Adrian Dix and Rika Gusterson actually have to say on all these topics. Okay, I think that's good now. Good afternoon. My name's Adrian Dix. Uh, yep, yeah, I uh, can. BC's Minister oh. of Health. Uh, to my right is Dr. Rika Gustafson, uh, the Deputy Provincial Health Officer, and she has many other titles. But uh, we'll leave it at that for the moment. We're honored to be here on the territories of the uh, Musqueam of the Squamish of the Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Uh, today we're briefing uh, obviously here in Vancouver tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Gustus and I will release a written statement around 3 o'clock with case counts and other, uh, and other relevant information. And with that, uh, it's my honor, as you know, uh, uh, from the beginning of or the middle of January on, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry, uh, our Provincial Health Officer, has been doing these briefings. And uh, she's, of course, done an extraordinary job. But uh, Dr. Henry is part of an extraordinary team, truly extraordinary team of people who have been working uh, really seven days a week um, uh, since that time. There are exceptional, brilliant people, but not just brilliant people, but compassionate people. And uh, Dr. Gustafson is one of those people, Dr. Rick Gustafson. Um, really honored, uh, as I always am, to introduce uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry. Uh, honored to introduce Dr. Gustafson, who represents um, literally the hundreds uh, of people in public health who have uh, done so much in recent months to keep us safe. So it's my honor to introduce uh, Dr. Rick Gustafson. Thank you very much, Mr. Dix. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Um, again, I am Dr. Rekha Gustafson. I'm the Deputy Provincial Health Officer and the Vice President for Public Health uh, of the Pro- uh, Provincial Health Services Authority. And I'm responsible for the BC Center for Disease Control. I work side by side with the medical health officers and frontline public health workers, as well as Dr. Bonnie Henry on British Columbia's COVID-19 response. And I will be providing the public health updates this week. So as always, we start with the case updates. Uh, and today we are reporting on three periods. From Friday to Saturday, we had 100 cases of COVID-19 in British Columbia. Saturday to Sunday, 88 cases. And Sunday to today, 48 cases for a total of 236 new cases or diagnoses of COVID-19 in BC, bringing the total for British Columbia since the beginning of the pandemic to 4,594 cases. The the distribution of these cases by health authority are uh, 1,419 cases in Vancouver Coastal Health, 2,425 cases in the Fraser Health Authority, 154 cases on Vancouver Island, 
405 in the Interior Health Authority and 117 in Northern, Northern Health Authority. 74 cases were from outside of Canada. Currently in British Columbia, we have 743 active cases of COVID-19, of whom four are, in four are in hospital today and three are in critical care. 2,286 people in British Columbia are currently under active public health monitoring. We are set to report two new deaths, both in Fraser Health, bringing the total to 198 deaths in British Columbia since the beginning of the pandemic. Our sincere condolences to everyone who's lost a friend or loved one to COVID-19. As of today, there are 3,653 people in British Columbia who have fully recovered from COVID-19. We also are reporting some new outbreaks in healthcare facilities. There are two new outbreaks uh, in the Chorney Alzheimer's Center in the Fraser Health Region and the Arbutus Care Center in the Vancouver Coastal Health Region, bringing the total to 10 active outbreaks in the healthcare system. There are nine in long-term care facilities and assisted living and one in acute care. In total in British Columbia, there have been 690 cases in long-term care uh, facilities, assisted living and acute care, 415 of whom were residents and 275 were staff. At this time, the outbreak at the Joseph and Rosalie Siegel Family Health Center has been declared over. There are no new community outbreaks to report today, but health authorities do continue to issue community exposure alerts for a number of locations and flights coming in and out of British Columbia. This weekend, Northern Health has issued a community exposure alert for anyone who may have attended the It Is Time Canada event in Deadwood, Alberta from July 30th to August the 2nd. If you attended the event, you're asked to self-isolate for 14 days and monitor for symptoms, seek care should you develop any of those symptoms. And wherever you live in British Columbia, please check regularly the health authority websites and follow guidance of public health teams should you have been in a place where there is a, a public exposure of COVID-19 reported. So what, is, what do all these numbers mean for British Columbia today? We do have an increasing number of cases of COVID-19 in British Columbia, and the majority of new infections in BC at this time are among young adults. This tells us that we have done to date a relatively good job of protecting the most vulnerable. But we are also reporting some new outbreaks in long-term care facilities, and that's a really important reminder for us all that the risk to vulnerable citizens of British Columbia remains. Now, what does, what does this all mean for us today? What, what have we learned about COVID-19 since the start of the pandemic? And what is it that we need to do about it? Well, what we do know is that COVID-19, um, especially among young and healthy individuals, not always, but can be and often is, a relatively mild infection. And, and in fact, the disease can spread with, with very mild symptoms or before symptoms appear at all. This is, again, particularly the case for young adults who make up the majority of cases in BC today. This actually makes things quite challenging, and that's because some people may not even realize that they have COVID-19 and they can inadvertently spread it to others, to friends, to colleagues, to family members, and other vulnerable people in their circle, in their community, and even in their workplace. You may look at the numbers of people in hospital and ICU today and feel that things are looking good. And, and in fact, we should be um, pleased to see that we are able to or have been able to protect those most vulnerable. But it is also important to remember that there are hundreds of people with COVID-19 and hundreds more are self-isolating. And it is very important to remember that for our elders and those with underlying health conditions, the potential for severe disease remains. Again, this may not apply to you, but you could easily spread the virus to someone who is vulnerable through your work or when spending time with friends and family. Today, we have a number of active outbreaks, in the, uh, outbreaks and community clusters, and our public health teams on the ground are very proactively managing and following up these outbreaks, notifying close contacts, and doing all they can to break the chain of infection. But for us to be too successful, we actually need everybody to help. With the number of people in BC today, we're at a time when we all need to be particularly alert to how we are feeling. You may feel well enough to see friends and go into work, 
but rather today the bar for staying home and staying away from gathering needs to be very, very low. How low? Likely much lower than what you are used to. With any symptom at all, please stay at home. Please do not go into gatherings. And that makes you a COVID-19 champion, a COVID-19 champion who chooses to stay at home and stay away from others when feeling even the slightest bit ill. Making that choice is choosing to keep yourself and others healthy. And in particular, because COVID-19 can be spread, before you develop symptoms, it is essential that if you have been contacted by public health and been told that you are a contact of COVID-19, please stay at home for the full period recommended by public health. It, this, is the, this is an extremely important way to protect people with whom you work, with whom you interact, and those in the community. So where we are today is that we all know we need what we all know what we need to do to protect ourselves and each other, and this is the time for us to be using all the layers of protection. Uh, we can all do our part by working together while staying apart. I'm asking you to please understand the risk and be an influencer and a champion. Be the person that supports your friends and family to do the right thing, and know that by doing so, you're helping to keep all of us safe. And I'd like to finish by thanking all of you for what you're already doing, because I know that British Columbians are um, working to protect their friends, their family, and their community every day. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Gustafson. And uh, I wanted to start uh, on behalf of, uh, of the Premier of the government, I think of all people in BC, uh, to send out our condolences to the families of the two people who died from Saturday to Sunday uh, for COVID-19 in British Columbia and to the 198 families in total, 196 other families who've lost loved ones during the pandemic. It is an extraordinarily difficult time right now uh, to grieve. We know this, we know this, and all of our family units, we know that in this pandemic, which now feels like it's gone on for a long, long time, that we've lost people in our circles that we haven't been able to grieve properly or recognize properly. And so for those people who lost their lives this weekend, including one in long-term care in Fraser Health and the other as well in Fraser Health, we pass on all of our condolences. And we are, we are with you in this moment. As Dr. Gustafson, I think, said very eloquently, we really have, uh, it's a bit in British Columbia right now of a tale of two pandemics. Uh, people will know from the hospitalization uh, numbers, which were uh, 12 on, uh, on Friday, I believe, and are now four today, that the number of people hospitalized and seriously ill with COVID-19 actually went down over a weekend where we saw a significant number of new cases. The number of people in critical care went from four to three. And sadly, well, two people died this weekend overall in the month of August, which is now, um, uh, is now uh, we're now more than halfway through. Uh, the number of people who have passed away is uh, a small fraction of what it is in neighboring jurisdictions such as Alberta and of Washington State. So a lot of our, our effort and a lot of our energy has been to protect the most vulnerable. And you've seen these actions, the actions in terms of long-term care, the extraordinary steps to keep our acute care hospitals safe. And It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Operating and functioning and, uh, and to stop the spread in those circumstances. All of the work of our critical care specialists who have had outcomes in British Columbia that the whole world recognizes as extraordinary. And yet, 
and yet 236 new cases uh, this weekend, which is the other part of the story that we have to try together uh, to address and to address better. Uh, I spent a good part of the weekend, Friday and Saturday and Sunday, engaged with young people, encouraging young people to uh, talk about in their own ways, in their own language, with one another, to influence one another about the issue of COVID-19. I've been actually uh, so inspired by their willingness to do so, by their understanding and their ability to translate some of the things we're trying to say in a way that works for them. And we need that because this pandemic is not ending soon. This pandemic that we're all tired of, so very tired of, will be going on now we would expect well through 2021 into 2022. The measures we have to take together, this new normal we have to fashion together and in some ways enjoy together. This new normal is going to be in place for a long time. And the way that we address that, the way we deal with that as a society is inevitably has to be by choice and by engagement and by talking to each other and by encouraging one another. And when we fall, helping one another up. And that's a big part of what we need to do. As well, we need to, on occasion, uh, have uh, surveillance and enforcement. And over the weekend, as committed, uh, I noted, for example, on Friday, that ongoing surveillance and enforcement operations have resulted in the closure of several bars, restaurants, and nightclubs following transmission events, some by public health order and some voluntary. Just three of those nightclubs alone, uh, the Pierre Champagne Lounge and the linked West Oak, uh, Oak Restaurant, along with the Ivy Lounge and the Trump Hotel, are associated with a significant number of cases of COVID-19 as, uh, as public health continues its case finding and management. All, through, all three remain closed and will not reopen until advised by public health. This past weekend, as, as committed, August 14th, 15th, and 16th, Fraser Health and Vancouver Coastal Health visited a total of 128 banquet facilities. After reported, uh, reported concerns, read the number of guests present at some banqueting halls and the concerns re-adherence to required plans. We have, through that review, and I'm very happy uh, to report a relatively no number of uh, places under concern, identified six um, such banquet halls which are subjects of concern, which we'll be, of course, following up with to ensure that public health orders and guidance are followed. We obviously take this very seriously, and following up with the identified facilities, we'll be continuing to follow up with the identified facilities in the coming days. As well, WorkSafe BC has been performing its own checks over the weekend to determine, uh, that, determine their confidence that employers are aware of and implementing the require, requirements needed to keep workers safe. And we also, of course, have to highlight though, the fact that so many restaurants and so many uh, facilities are doing an excellent job in greeting people following their COVID-19 plans. One of the major concerns we continue to have is private parties and private gatherings, uh, and the most dangerous of which, of course, are indoor private parties and indoor private gatherings. So we're going to, we are continuing to review uh, what can be done about those and continuing to engage with people and discourage people from hosting such gatherings. 50 is not a maximum. Uh, is not a uh, is not a minimum, I should say, and, and a maximum. Fifty is the maximum number of people who can go to a gathering in British Columbia at this time. However, uh, depending on where you are, the number that's safe for you and who's there is safe for you is considerably below this. So, in summary, on this question, I just want to recognize the efforts of many businesses, uh, but but say that we cannot let a few wreck it for everybody else. And, uh, and that is the reason why action is being taken. That ministries are meeting and have met today to map up out a more comprehensive approach to increase enforcement that will optimize the use of enforcement officers beyond public health, the municipalities, health authorities, work safe, and police that will come into effect later this week. As stated, and based on this information, the government will take further steps to impose stricter penalties. You can expect an announcement from my colleague, the Solicitor General, later this week on these enforcement measures. Public health, based on these additional measures, will continue to exercise their authority. But we should remember that public health is fully engaged now in supporting people in isolation, in contact tracing, and everything else. Their role 
and stopping the spread of COVID-19 is paramount, and we have to ensure that their role is both supported and protected in every way possible. I also want to briefly, and I'm sorry to go on, I will uh, briefly give the, uh, the PPE, report on PPE that we do uh, every Monday. As you know, um, from, uh, from March to last week's report on Tuesday, August 10th, the following PPE has arrived in BC. Just over 6 million uh, N95 or equivalent respirators, 42 million surgical or procedure masks, 2.4 million pieces of eye protection, including goggles and face shields, 76 million pairs of gloves, just over 5.6 million gowns, which is, uh, needless to say, a lot. Um, today, I can tell you that over the past week, since my update last week on Tuesday, August 10th, 10th up till yesterday, we received the following, 24,403 N95 or equivalent respirators, 4,814,300 surgical or procedure masks in the last week, uh, 2,637 pieces of eye protection, 7,747,200 pairs of gloves, and 246,310 gallons. As you will be aware, all of that uh, material is being uh, tested uh, to ensure that it is safe and efficient project product for our healthcare system. Uh, it's just uh, so. Just finally, uh, uh, everywhere uh, we need to do everywhere and everything we need to do to stop the spread is at our fingertips. More so now than ever, than even three months ago. And yet there are those who tap into the fact that we're all tired that there's a new normal that doesn't hold a candle to what it once was, that we miss what we used to do and what we expected to do. Those hosting, organizing, or making their properties available to large parties and gatherings that break the rules, ignore the guidance, and violate provincial health orders should know this. Using a pandemic to pander to those who are already, who are ready to bend the rules, not the curve, comes with consequences. You are, people need to understand that they need to hold themselves and we need to hold each other responsible for doing the right thing. No immunity, no impunity. There certainly isn't from COVID-19. Whether it's those who think they can escape the ravages and lasting impacts of COVID-19, or those who think they can counter our efforts to stop the spread without consequence, there are two things to understand about COVID-19 and our, and our BC effort. There is no immunity, and that to be successful, we have to work together every day and appeal to the best in one another all the time. Aujourd'hui, nous faisons le point sur le nombre de nouveaux cas pour trois périodes de référence de 24 heures chacune, soit celle des 14 et 15 heures, celle des 15 et 16 heures, et celle des 16 jusqu'au 17 heures en mi-journée. Il y a eu deux nouveaux décès liés au COVID-19 durant ces trois périodes de référence. Nous offrons nos condoléances aux familles et aux amis des 198 personnes décidées de COVID-19 et à tous ceux qui ont perdu des êtres chers au cours de cette pandémie. À ce jour, 3653 personnes dont le test de dépistage de COVID-19 était positif sont maintenant rétablies. Pour la première période de référence qui s'étend jusqu'au 15 août, nous avons eu 100 nouveaux cas. Pour la deuxième période de référence qui s'étend jusqu'au 16 août, nous avons eu 88 nouveaux cas. Au cours des dernières 24 heures, 48 nouveaux cas se sont ajoutés. Euh, cela représente 236 nouveaux cas depuis notre dernière mise à jour vendredi pour un total de 4594 cas en Colombie-Britannique. Parmi l'ensemble des cas confirmés de COVID-19, 4 personnes sont actuellement hospitalisées, dont 3 en, 3 en soins intensifs. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. We're happy to take your questions. Thank you, Minister. And before we take questions, a reminder to the media to please press star 1 to line up for questions. We will be taking one question and one follow-up this afternoon. And again, a reminder to the media, please do not mute your phones. You will not be heard until I call your name. We begin today with Tanya Fletcher, CBC. Tanya, go ahead, please. Thank you very much. Um, Minister, this first question is for you, and if we could get a response in French on this as well. Um, you just mentioned banquet halls are one thing, but if you can speak to the challenge of monitoring or enforcing behavior at private parties, uh, if those events continue to be a concern, you know, in people's own homes, what more can or will you do beyond education, and will the update that you alluded to from the Solicitor General include penalties around that? Uh, I think it's an important question uh, to deal with. You know, we have 
uh, as you know, um, a history of respect for uh, people's homes. You know, people, a person's home is uh, their castle, they used to say. I think some of that dates back to the Magna Carta. So we want to we wanna be respectful of that. And so to be effective uh, across the system, we have to understand uh, and across communities. We all have to understand our obligations to one another. Uh, we have seen, and because uh, public health reviews uh, all the cases, that uh, circumstances where people have uh, uh, have essentially transmitted COVID-19 to one another in family circumstances with relatively small gatherings. So the importance of physical distancing and the importance of reaching out and convincing people of the need over a very significant time that lays ahead of us, the need to act in different ways is, is fundamentally important. It's important if you're 21, 31, 56, or 81. It's important for everybody. So that part of it, the convincing part, the asking everybody, but especially what I've been doing this weekend, asking people who can influence people from uh, 20 to 40. And by the way, 20 to 40 may be seen as young, and from my point of view, I guess it is seen as young, but it's not young. And people, I think, and the people I've met on this weekend understand that and understand their obligation to one another and to their parents and to their grandparents and those that they know who, I don't know, might have diabetes or something and be even more vulnerable than they are. So uh, the key part of our message, Tanya, is, uh, is influencing and convincing as it has been from the beginning because to be most effective, you have to have that first. We all have to buy in and overwhelmingly people in BC have bought in and we can see that a little bit in these numbers. We have uh, four people in hospital today with COVID-19, which is, um, by our standard, one of, I think it may well be our lowest total since way back in March of people in hospitals. So uh, lots of good things are happening. So how do we deal with issues in home? Those are one of the things we're also looking at in addition to that and uh, in terms of the responsibilities people have. And that's, that means that, uh, and those are some of the issues that my colleague and the whole, all, all of a, a variety of ministries of government are taking a look at to communicate that message and to ensure that's come through. Now, Dr. Henry and the team of public health did make some changes with respect to short-term rentals that were relevant and have been relevant to outbreaks and will make, I think, um, a difference in the future. I think those changes came around July 23rd and she uh, she and public health made a series of changes and limits to the number of people who can be invited in short-term rentals for example and houseboats and other and other changes that were I think significant changes at that time and that are helpful in enforcing that end of it but the one place you're quite right that's uh, the final challenge that we have to do some convincing but also look at to see if enforcement could be helpful in this regard is a private residence party hosted by the person who either rents or owns that residence. And it's a concern, and it's certainly something my colleague, the Solicitor General, is looking at. Do you have a follow up, Tanya? Well, en français. I do, please, thanks. Juste en français pour dire que c'est essentiel de convaincre tout le monde, n'est-ce pas? C'est essentiel de convaincre. Et c'est pour cette raison que j'ai parlé, j'ai passé une grande partie du weekend. En, en, en parlant avec des jeunes ou des jeunes, de toute façon des personnes de, de 20 à 40 ans, de parler à eux et de, de, de demander à eux d'être, de, de, de faire partie de la solution de cette question, de, de communiquer avec leurs camarades, leurs amis, leurs coéquipiers, qui que ce soit pour assurer qu'on qu est en mesure de convaincre et de, et de, de faire tout ce qu'on veut faire pour euh, se battre contre le Covid-19 qui, qui euh, n'entend pas nos excuses et qui est euh, redoutable, euh, bien entendu. Donc, on a fait tout cela. En même temps, il y a des choses que le gouvernement est en mesure de faire et on va euh, ajouter un, euh, à nos efforts cette semaine. On a fait un, un, un tas d'efforts pendant ce week-end et depuis plusieurs mois, mais il, il, il faut euh, en faire plus. Et euh, ma, mon collègue, le euh, solliciteur général, euh, Mike Farmer, euh, va en parler euh, plus tard euh, cette semaine. Thank you. The next question is from David Monko, CTV. David, go ahead, please. 
Hi, Minister. I just wanted to follow up on, on Tanya's question there uh, about enforcement. I know I'm jumping the gun here as well, but on the local level, when it comes to maybe beaches and parks and shopping streets and all of that, what might enforcement look like, and, and how would you sort of explain that tricky balance between, you know, buying in, shaming somebody, and, and also enforcing it? Uh, I, I think... Um uh, I think we have to um, recognize that the work of public health, and I'm going to ask Dr. Gustafson to speak to this um, because I think it's really important, that there will be no shaming of uh, people who get sick because we got to help them get better. And overwhelmingly, and I mean even in the last couple of weeks where there's, uh, there's been a significant number of cases, the willingness of people who test positive or who are required to go into isolation because their association with people who have tested positive. That cooperation is essential to stopping the spread. And that involves working with people and supporting them and helping them when they get sick. Uh, and that is the essential work that public health does. When we say we have 2,200 people under observation, those people are being worked with every single day by public health. And, it's, and that part of stopping the spread and of enforcement, that is the most important thing we do. And it's extraordinary work being done by people in public health every day. And so all of those things are important. I think we have to understand and be precise about areas where we have vulnerabilities. And um, one of those areas, for example, is in the broad area of agriculture and, uh, and food processing. And we've seen that with a series of relatively large outbreaks in food processing plants and more recently in, uh, in uh, a blueberry processing plant in, in Abbotsford. And that requires a different kind of effort, just as our enormous effort in long-term care, we focused in on those issues, required a different sort of effort. So uh, I think we have to be precise here. The places where there's the greatest danger is uh, our private parties, where alcohol is involved, and it's inside. And I know that people see outside more than inside because it's outside. But, um, but those are the places where we have to communicate to people don't hold private parties. Watch the Canucks with your bubble uh, in the Stanley Cup run. We've got to communicate that message and find ways, uh, should there be issues, to work with all of the people out there to uh, both encourage um, uh, people to, uh, to follow the guidance of public health and to follow the rules of public health. But also, uh, and that's really important, I think, but, uh, and, uh, and provide um, on the business side of that um, uh, some some uh, clear direction that should rules aren't not be followed that people are, are required to adhere to that they be followed. So um, these are things we're working with. But maybe I could ask Dr. Gustafson to speak about uh, the main issue. Hi. So yes, with respect to helping people comply with the guidance that we have given. Um, I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that we're all learning together. And we have some broad guidelines that public health has provided based on the characteristics of COVID-19, knowing how it's transmitted, knowing that transmission can occur more easily indoors and when you're, close, when you're in close proximity to people, and especially when you have symptoms or when you have been exposed to COVID-19 and you may be uh, just before your symptoms. So we have given these uh, guidelines over many, many weeks. Where I think um, public health, uh, the work of public health needs to continue and has been very strong is working with people to apply these guidelines to their contexts, whether that's a school, a post-secondary institution, a small workplace of 20 people, or a large workplace or a business. Um, the guidelines are actually simple, but when you, act, uh, when you are um, applying it to your, play, to your place of work, your place of study, you will probably have questions. You will need support. And one of the areas where uh, public health has been working very, very hard is providing institutions and services the guidance and the problem-solving day-to-day, um, as well as healthcare uh, institutions, the day-to-day problem-solving of how do I make that happen and still function and still make sure that I deliver the services that I need to deliver um, and, or that I, need to, that I serve the, 
the people that I serve or I create the product that I need to create. So at this time, um, we're, we're six months into or nine months into this now, and um, we're getting close to nine months into this, and we are still learning together. But the uh, while I well, absolutely um, uh, regulations enforcement have a role, as Minister Dix has um, uh, suggested and, and indicated, there's there's also a great deal of influencing and learning together and helping each other through uh, being able to follow those rules. And being able to follow those rules varies by your capacity, by your age, and, and doing the very best we can, and learning as we go along. And I would like to speak a little bit about learning. One of the learnings we did was uh, with respect to nightclubs and the types of regulations and recommendations that were put in place for restaurants and how those needed to be changed. And that's a really important learning that we did and that um, uh, to which we responded through uh, guidelines and regulations. Do you have a follow-up, David? Yeah, uh, Minister Dix, I appreciate your point there about outdoor gatherings being the most visible, but indoors presenting the greatest danger. And perhaps this, this follow-up is for Dr. Gustafson. Um, Dr. Gustafson, can you give us a sense from your contact tracing if we've seen many or any cases of outdoor transmission linked to parks and beaches and other places? Have we seen that at all? We've had uh, a num uh, just, I believe, one um, public exposure that we have put on our website related to an outdoor exposure, but uh, the number of transmissions that have been uh, reported in purely outdoor settings has been very, very limited. The vast number, of, vast amount of transmission is occurring in closed close, prolonged contact, especially in indoor settings. Um, so that means among people who are spending a lot of time together and in very close proximity. Thank you. Our next question comes from Denise Ryan, Vancouver Sun. Denise, go ahead, please. Hi, Minister Dix and Dr. Gustafson. My question today is about testing. We're seeing traffic gridlock around testing sites like the St. Vincent site in Vancouver and people who need tests being turned away from the city center in downtown Vancouver. Why are people being turned away if there's a capacity for 8,000 tests a day in BC? And how do you plan to ensure that health authorities throughout the province have the resources they need to meet the demand for tests if numbers surge as we move into cold and flu season in the fall? Thank you. That, that's a really important question. And yes, we have been working on testing capacity in two ways. One is the testing capacity in the laboratory. So that's when the specimen has arrived to the laboratory. And that's a really important place to work on testing capacity and been putting a lot of effort into that testing capacity. And health authorities are, at the moment, looking at their demand for testing and ensuring that the availability of testing is increased in every region, in every health authority so that the first step in the test, which means that a person who requires a test, is also available to them uh, as rapidly as possible. We have had a rapid increase in the demand for testing over the last uh, few weeks or last uh, week or so, and we are seeing some, um, some delay in the, in the ramp up of that capacity, but I can assure you that all health authorities are working very hard to make sure that that capacity is there and that people can receive the test when they need it. Follow-up, Denise? Yes. Uh, you uh, mentioned that you're working on testing capacity in two ways, in the laboratory and saying that people who are need tests are getting them. Uh, is the delay then in the site testing uh, when you say there's a capacity for 8,000 to be tested daily in D.C., does that mean there's a laboratory capacity but not necessarily a site capacity? No, I think uh, over the weekend, I believe over the three days, and I can confirm this for you, we did, a, the health authorities did about 10,500 uh, tests over the weekend. Uh, that's the basis on which the 236 case, test case positive um, cases came, which is, uh, as you know, significantly more than we had been doing. 
So part of this is measuring public demand and ensuring that our facilities are able to meet it. There's no point in having uh, facilities ready to take 5,000 tests if there are 2,000 people coming. We've seen an increase. If you look at the numbers over time, and, and you can see all this set on the BCCDC dashboard, right? Um, uh, and uh, you can see what's happened, which is we've gone from in the neighborhood of 1,500 to 2,000 tests a day to uh, I think Thursday to Friday it was 3,500 tests, and over the weekend it was about 3,500 a day. And so that number has increased because there's been uh, more concern and more demand in the last uh, number of weeks, and uh, we're, uh, we're able to respond to meet that, and we will. Thank you. The next question comes from Keith Paulry, Global TV. Keith, go ahead, please. Hi, thanks for this. I noticed um, there was a 10, of the, of the 236, 10 in the Northern Health Authority. Are those linked to that religious event uh, up in the Peace River area or in Alberta where people came back into Port St. John? And if so, is there a concern that that number may grow in number in the days ahead? So, at the, so Northern Health Authority did report uh, uh, those uh, those ten cases, and yes, they were related to that exposure, and um, that's why the the um, announcement was put forward. And when we do put an, uh, an announcement out, we are asking people to self-monitor because they have been exposed, and we also are asking them to get a test if they um, if they develop symptom. So the symptoms. So the reason that this uh, uh, announcement is put out there is to make sure that people who may have been exposed know that they have been exposed and get, can get tested. So absolutely, there's a possibility that there will be additional diagnoses related to that. But once we know that there's an exposure, that's actually our goal, that should anybody have been exposed and infected, we diagnose them as early as possible. And, and the other thing that we, uh, our goal is with an, with an announcement like this is that if somebody has been exposed, they are currently self-isolating, and therefore in the, in the time period between now and if and when they develop symptom, symptoms, they are not exposing anybody else. Thank you. Do you have a follow-up, Keith? No, that's good. And our next question comes from Amy Smart, Canadian Press. Amy, go ahead, please. Hi there. I'm just hoping you can confirm this for me. I'm reviewing some of the numbers. Is it true that uh, 100 is the highest number of single-day cases? recorded yet, and um, as well, it, it seems like it's the highest number of active cases. So um, I'm not sure I can confirm that it is actually the highest. It's the second highest number that we have recorded, um, and uh, uh, to date in the pandemic. And of course, the daily numbers are something that that we need to monitor. We also need to monitor trends over time, and who is getting infected, where those individuals are transmitting to other people, and whether they belong to the vulnerable groups who are at highest risk of severe disease. And for as an absolute number, as Doctor uh, as Minister Dix has just. Uh, Confirmed for me is the second highest number uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. Follow up, Amy? And, um, yeah, sorry, just to clarify, second highest single day or second highest case load or active, active case number? It's a second highest single day. And one of the things I would also like to uh, uh, just emphasize is that, um, and this is a really important number for us, and we are certainly monitoring it, and public health is very actively responding to the number of infections. One of the other things about this is that, that we have very broad availability of testing right now, and we are encouraging uh, individuals with mild symptoms to be tested as well. And it does highlight that with that capacity, we are also able to track this epidemic very closely, which is one of our most effective interventions against COVID-19. Thank you. The next question comes from Marcella Bernardo, News 1130. Marcella, go ahead, please. Thank you, both of you, for uh, taking my question. This is something for Adrian Dix. Uh, I would like you to please explain why police and Vancouver Park Board staff are telling us that they've been directed by the province not to issue tickets to rule breakers on beaches and on the Granville Strip. They claim that it's the province that is keeping them from issuing violation tickets. Well, I, I think, uh, first of all, I mean, with respect to that issue, you'd expect it's not in my uh, jurisdiction as Minister of Health. I'm, I'm delighted to look into it, uh, Marcella. I think uh, there was uh, an incident that, as I understand it, and. Uh, I want everyone to understand that I took uh, Sunday off social media. I didn't take Sunday off, but I took it off social media. That there was an issue incident on the Granville Strip that caused a lot of uh, 
a disquiet. I under also understand that the Vancouver Police Department responded to that and responded to that in an effective way. So um, there will be uh, things that come from time to time uh, outdoors that everyone can see, and they are concerns. We have seen people respond. Uh, you recall there was an incident a few weeks ago around a drum circle, and uh, and there was some discussion of it here, and we and there was a response by reducing and the number of people and the amount of physical distancing that took place dramatically reduced the next week. So, um, you know, we're working and we will be working. Uh, with all other uh, all other levels of government and everyone engaging to make sure people are safe, but we, we need to be precise as well in what we do. And part of the focus that we have uh, right now, as we have in the past, uh, as you'll recall, there was issues in agriculture, and we made extraordinary steps to ensure that people in public health led this. Vancouver Coastal Health, in particular, and Dr. Uh, Patricia Daly uh, led this effort to keep. Uh, temporary farm workers in quarantine, and that had very positive effects. So we're going to continue to, that's just an example of a precise action taken to reduce transmission. The places we're most concerned about in terms of transmission are uh, parties and close contacts that take place over a period of time, and contacts amongst, you know, people in enclosed circumstances. Those are the circumstances that we're most focused on in terms of our enforcement right now. With respect to your specific question, uh, I'll be happy to look into it and get back to you, Marcella. Do you have a follow-up, Marcella? Um, yes, I would like to ask you an education question because we just saw today um, the implementation of mandatory masks in some uh, jurisdictions, but have you considered implementing single-site orders for schools to ensure teachers and teachers on call are not moving from one building to another in any given district, possibly spreading the virus like we've witnessed earlier this year in healthcare? Um, thank you for that question. So um, uh, public health and uh, the government, of course, are working very, very closely with school boards to and individual schools to make sure that there is a safety plan uh, that's implemented in every single school. And uh, the importance, the public health importance and the health importance of getting children back into school cannot be understated. It's really, really important, and we are here to support schools to uh, get back get children back into education and we have a lot of reassuring data from around the world that is telling us that it is actually possible to say do so we know that transmission from children to adults is uncommon we know that adults in schools are not at higher risk of covid than uh, than in the community we also know that schools are part of the community and therefore reflect covid-19 transmission so i'm not going to get to your question with respect to the single site orders uh, the single site orders were in response to a known demonstration risk and with respect to the the hierarchy of interventions in schools uh, the um, the uh, the introduction of, of COVID-19 by potentially um, uh, by potentially infectious uh, individuals, whether adults and children, are most effectively addressed by general uh, safety measures as well as staying at home and when um, when they are sick. I have heard conversations about considering limiting the number of schools that a substitute teacher or temporary teacher attends. At this point, I would say that we don't have a risk indication that would support that, but I can tell you that we will work with our school boards to make sure that that um, any identified risk is addressed through uh, the safety plan. Thank you. And we have time for one more question. Uh, Mr. Dix, would you like to add something? Okay. Thank you. We have time for one more question this afternoon. For any reporters that didn't get a question today, there will be a statement released shortly for recommendations on protecting families and communities and for access to provincial guidance on COVID-19. Visit bccdc.ca. For non-medical questions about the province's COVID-19 response, visit gov.bc.ca slash COVID-19. And the last question comes from Mike Hager, Globe and Mail. Mike, Hi, ahead, Dr. Gustafson. Yes. Hello. Hello. Dr. Gustafson, uh, could you just illuminate us as to any uh, issues you have with the plan to wear masks in schools? Um, a lot of people are concerned that uh, within the so-called learning groups, the students won't have to wear masks. Um, oh, what so are your thoughts on that? 
So again, thank you for the question. And again, just to reiterate, uh, I'm just uh, so pleased to see the effort that we're all making together to get kids back into school. It's just so important. With respect to masks, we know that masks in general are quite low on the hierarchy of protective uh, of protections for COVID-19. And that's why they're limited. When we do recommend them, they're limited to the settings where usually during brief periods of time, the other, uh, other control methods cannot be used. We know that uh, children, again, are not very efficient transmitters of COVID-19, but we also know that you can limit the number, and, and they are um, at much, much lower risk of uh, significant health outcomes from COVID-19 infection. We know that the most effective way of, uh, again, of preventing COVID-19 is, um, is to make sure that you stay at home if you are sick. We know that we can add an important additional layer of protection by keeping our group small, which is what the learning groups are about and uh, the decision to use masks as an additional layer of protection in the situations where the other uh, control measures can't be put in place is something that is being taken right now and is, as, as every other control measure will be evaluated to make sure that it is that uh, children and students are able to do it safely and that it does provide an added benefit but as to your question as to whether I am concerned that children are not going to be wearing masks in other situations uh, based on all the information that's available to us about COVID in, in schools, no, I am not. Do you have a follow-up, Mike? Uh, well, I was just going to ask about ventilation. Um, is there anything being done to improve ventilation within the classrooms at older schools? I'm actually not aware of that's a particular uh, uh, intervention that's in place right now. It's certainly something that we can get back to you on. I don't know if Minister Dix has anything further to add. Yeah, just uh, like uh, be, I think uh, uh, the Minister of Education did a, a detailed uh, press conference with some changes today, and I'm sure he'd be uh, happy to respond. I think what you're seeing um, are two things. One. Uh, an extraordinary effort together by people involved to make sure that uh, children and young people, uh, teenagers, are safe when they go back to school, which is uh, uh, essential and important. And the effort, of course, to ensure that people do have the chance uh, and the opportunity, and children do have the opportunity to get back to school. So uh, extraordinary measures are taken, as you're aware. Uh, some $45 million in expenditures is, uh, is being uh, distributed across BC to make uh, schools safer. And I'm sure the Minister of Education would have uh, more to say on the details of that uh, if you were to ask him. And with that, uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. This is uh, the last question. It's been answered, and that's a wrap. Thank you all for joining us. All right. Thank you for listening today. Um, hopefully that helps helps us ease some of the, the tensions around um, back to school and other things that are actually going on in our provinces as far as we have... Um, almost reach a new high in a number of new cases um, and what are we doing about that um, how law enforcement is able to um, handle uh, when when they see see parties that are actually outside of what the provincial health office says is good um, you know, can they find the person? Can they, um, what can they do to, to ensure that people stay within the healthy parameters um, so that we don't continue to spread uh, the virus COVID-19? So um, thank you for listening again. You've been listening to um, Policy and Rights on Depictions Media. And please do find the subscribe button Click it and share with your friends. Thank you so much and have a good day.
This show has been produced by Depictions Media. Please contact us at depictions.media for more information.